Good afternoon, everyone. It's a great day for hockey in Pittsburgh. It's a very exciting day for the Penguins. Uh, today we're announcing Ron Hextall is our new general manager, and Brian Burke as our new uh, as a new in a new position as our president of hockey operations. Uh, with these two guys, uh, we have two of the greatest minds in hockey, uh, two of the most respected people in hockey, and it carries on a tradition of the Penguins uh, that goes back to when we had Badger Bob and Scotty Bowman and and Jim Rutherford. Uh, on to today with Brian Burke and, and Ron Hextall. That, of course, is Penguins CEO David Morehouse. They say two heads are better than one. The Pittsburgh Penguins are hoping that's true after hiring not one new hockey executive but two big-time hockey luminaries to lead them now and into the future. Good morning, everybody, and welcome once again to Penguins Live Weekly. I'm Paul Steigerwald along with Brian Metzer, Wayne Gretzky, Anderson, is at the controls, and good morning to you, Mets. With only two games and a stretch of 10 days, obviously the big news this week was off the ice. It certainly was, Stag, and uh, we've long talked about the two-headed monster in Pittsburgh when people called Sid and Gino that for years, and now they have a two-headed monster in their front office because both of those guys are certainly huge name hockey people, and I, I was pretty excited to see them announced as being now linked to the Pittsburgh Penguins. I'm, I'm really Interested to see what they can do with the new opportunity. Baz Bastine, Eddie Johnston, Tony Esposito, Jim Rutherford, and Ronnie Hextall. Did I leave anybody out? No, I think no. those I, are the five goalies. That those are the masked GMs. men. <laughs> yeah, and only one of them scored a goal. And uh, maybe the funny thing is uh, the Penguins, Casey DeSmith now picking up uh, where like Fleury and others left off with shooting pucks, maybe another Penguin can join the ranks. But Ron Hextall, the only guy among them that has shot a puck into the net, and that's pretty a pretty neat thing, a feather in his cap, the first in history to do that. And we'll talk about all the other things he's done since his uh, playing days are over and a lot of good things. Brian Burke, of course, is a real hockey character, Harvard-educated, and he's worn a lot of hats. He certainly has, and, um, you know, he's done it all. He, he's been a winner. He's made big trades. He's... Uh, gotten into verbal battles with his peers and others around the league, always outspoken, uh, doing great work for inclusion in hockey as well. I, I just think that Brian Burke is a, a great person for this team to be affiliated with. I know some people might not feel that way, but I've always been so entertained by him. One of my favorite people in the National Hockey League, just to, to follow and to get a chance to cover him now, I think you're probably excited about it too. He's just a, a good guy to, to follow, and I'm curious to see what he can do here. Absolutely. Uh, on the ice, the Penguins with a pair of 4-3 decisions against the Islanders this week. Uh, we saw some signs of Gino coming to life with a couple of big goals in both games, uh, one in each. Uh, I think that uh, Gino is starting to show a little bit more joy in his game. I, I noticed him standing up on the bench in the second game this week against the Islanders and kind of joking with his teammates during the game. I don't know if you saw that. The camera trained on him on the bench and he was standing up while everybody else was sitting down and he was kind of joking and seeming to be having fun. You know, it wasn't that stare that we've seen from him, that vacant stare that he has a lot of times on the bench. A little bit more life there in his, in his eyes and on the ice, too. It was great to see, and I think he really got fired up with his goal that he scored uh, on Thursday night, and I hope he can build upon it because it helped him in the overtime, and he looked to be more lively. Coming up, we will have highlights of the two games against the Islanders. We will hear from Hextall and Burke 
as we look back at the big announcement on Tuesday, and we will discuss what tweaks might be necessary by those guys going forward. It's another hour of spirited Saturday morning hockey talk on the Penguins Radio Network presented by ST Bank. Welcome back to Penguins Live Weekly. We're here every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. taking a look back at the week that was for the Pittsburgh Penguins, and it was some week for sure. The week began with the first of two games on Long Island against the Islanders. Mike Sullivan started Tristan Jari, hoping he would begin to recapture his all-star caliber form. But the Islanders' Jordan Eberle had other ideas. He scored two first-period goals, and a sandwiched goal in between those two Eberle goals was a first NHL goal for a young Penguins defenseman. To the left side for Letty. Out in the neutral zone, it's Gensel. Back in his own end now for Joseph. Skates left wing. For Gensel over the line. Drops it back for Joseph. Left circle towards the net. Shoots one. He scores! P.O. Joseph, top quarter. And that's career goal number one for 73. Sidney Crosby grabbed the puck for Pierre Olivier Joseph, and he had started the rush, and then he ended it with a thing of beauty. Oh, my bad. I, th- I thought we were playing that goal. That's my fault, Stag. Uh <laughs> we just did. <laughs> well, no, I thought there was another one coming. That's what I get for reading reading <laughs> things besides my rundown here. But yeah, uh, it was a, gr- a beautiful play, and it, 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 I was excited about it in the moment. And I don't want to eat up a lot of time rambling now since I wasted most of the time trying to talk about where I didn't know where we were. No, it was great to see him uh, get the goal and, and uh, you know, Sid get him, getting him the puck had to be a big thrill for him. The Islanders led 2-1 to one after 1. The Penguins had very good second period uh numbers and, and and got rewarded in the last minute when Gino picked the corner on Semyon Varlamov. And that one just went wide. Getting a stick on that was Zucker. He has it now. Up the right wing through center. 20 seconds left. Here's Zucker into the slot. Lost it. Mayfield back out. Couldn't clear. Kapanen to Malkin. Left circle. Shoots. He scores! Evgeny Malkin from the left wing circle beats Varlamov up high. That was needed. It's 2-2. First regulation goal of the season, and the Penguins had for Malkin, and the Penguins had some momentum going into the third period. That's when Jake Gensel broke the tie. You might get one chance here in the third period. Make the most of it. Here's Crosby working for that chance on the near side wall into the slot for Gensel. Shoots one. He scores! Jake Gensel at the left wing circle, and the Penguins go up for the first time tonight. It's 3-2 Pittsburgh. Penguins were in the driver's seat with a long way to go in the game. The Islanders have been looking for secondary scoring going into the game, and they got it when Pierre-Olivier Joseph and Chris Letang both went behind the net to chase Casey Sezikis, and he found Cal Clutterbuck alone in front of the net for the tying goal. And when Teddy Bluger shot a puck over the glass for a delay of game penalty, the Islanders capitalized on the only power play opportunity of the game for either team. Barzell with it again. Cross-ice feed. Pulak a shot. Stopped by Jari. The rebound put in. Anders Lee in the blue paint, the captain for New York, makes it 4-3 Islanders, a power play goal with 2.44 to play. So the Penguins let one slip away, 4-3, to a team that is increasingly looking like the one that the Penguins will be slugging it out with for that last playoff spot. And it was a tough way to blow a lead, and that's the Penguins, I thought, played a really good game, but I, I, I guess a bit, the way to describe it is they played well enough to lose. I'm ready for you this time, Stag. But <laughs> no, you're right. I, I I felt terrible for them because this was a game where, I, for almost 60 minutes, they looked to be in full control. And essentially, two 
mistakes cost him the entire night. The the play with uh, P.O. Joseph and Chris Letang not being on the same page in front of the net. They both go to the back. They get the tying goal. And then, of course, the PK unable to get it done once again. And those are things that have been bugaboos all season long that they've got to find an, an antidote for. And maybe that's going to be in the offing here in the coming weeks. But the PK and the power play have not been up to snuff. And in this game, the PK cost them. Yeah, and on the PK, uh, it was a situation where um, Sam Lafferty was on the ice with Brandon Tanev to take the faceoff yep. uh, because he's a right-handed forward who also plays center, so he's taken faceoffs in his life. I mean, you have Russ, you have Kapanen, but they're not in that category. It's not and, something they do regularly, yeah. Yeah, and Lafferty, although he had only taken – that was the only faceoff he took in the entire game, and he loses it, and the Penguins never get the puck. They go D to D, and once again, a clean one-timer. The puck comes through the house – to uh, Ryan Pollock, and he shoots the puck, and the rebound's put in by Anders Lee. So, to me, it kind of uh, summed up the whole problem with the Penguins' penalty killing, that guys are getting wide-open one-timers. They didn't win the draw, obviously. That was the first problem. But then, uh, around the net, too, Anders Lee, who's noted for his ability to get in there and get garbage goals like that, uh, just it all was right there. It just was Exhibit A. Yeah, uh, and for me, winning the faceoff is a key moment there because, and I know you and I talked about that on Thursday, um, and you used some of those numbers on Lafferty. It's it's not something that he does a lot of. He did last year probably more often than he has this year. I think he's just taken going into uh, that week eight face-offs on the year, uh, and that was his eighth. And, and, he and that was a it. very big moment and, in the game. And it's a big pressure-packed situation. And really, you can make a case that I know they've had some games where they bounced back in the face-off circle, but that's been a bit of a problem all year long where certain teams – Teams that they're going to run into an awful lot this season have really gotten the the one up on them in terms of their ability to uh, win faceoffs against the Penguins. Then the PK just again allows a big shot. They they open it up. They get the shot. They get the rebound, which has been a, a recipe for success for the opposition, and they score a goal because, as you said, Anders Lee is a guy that gets open in front of the net, gets his stick available, knocks in plenty of loose pucks, and he did it here in a huge moment. So it made you wonder if maybe Sidney Crosby should take that key faceoff, even though he's not a right shot. Uh, you know, and I. Know uh, it, it's been done in the past where you take a draw and then you get off the ice right away, but uh, they really counted on Sam Lafferty to come through there, and he did it. No, oh, by the way, he didn't play the next game. Yeah, and it's it's a shame if that specific play cost him because he does a lot of other things with using his speed and just uh, bringing some energy. But uh, it's a big moment, and they have some other players that are going to be chomping at the bit to take those bottom six roles. And then, of course, you have Zach Aston-Reese, who became available later in the week as well, and that, that makes the numbers game tougher for a guy like Sam Lafferty. And the Penguins had worked all week on their power play in practice, and lo and behold, they had no power play opportunities in that game with the <laughs> Islanders. Uh, but they did allow a power play goal for the fifth consecutive game. So they left Long Island knowing they would be returning again on Thursday. But in the meantime... Ron Hextall was the guy we all wanted. and I, So I was, talk, I was talking to Mario about Ron, and he said, Berkey, what about Berkey? And so I, I, call, I, I, call, I called Berkey and said, Hey, Berkey, I, Mario just asked me to give you a call. And uh, there was silence on the other end of the phone. And then Berkey said, you know, David, if it was anyone else, I'd, I'd be able to tell you no right now. But let me can I sleep on it a little bit? So he slept on it. And I called him back the next day, and he talked to his family a little bit. And uh, he not only gave me sage advice on, on Ron Hextall, he gave me sage advice uh, just going through this process. And I think, uh, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a great honor for us to have 
both of these gentlemen interested in Pittsburgh. And uh, I think they're, they're, they're the two, along with Coach Sullivan, that's going to take us uh, uh, in the in, in direction we're used to being taken. So that happened Tuesday morning. David Morehouse of the Penguins suddenly had more, more hockey royalty uh, in the organization, Mets. And, uh, you know, Hextall had built the Flyers, uh, was with the Kings, did a good job there too. Burke won a cup at Anaheim many years ago, but he's worked at the league office. He's been GM of five teams. I mean, he's really got a lot of experience to uh, to give Hextall someone to lean on when he wants to make decisions. Well, that's the best thing about him is is his ability to do just about everything in the game. Um, he could probably step behind a bench if he needed to. Uh, he's a great general manager. He's a great evaluator of talent. And I know that he likes to build hard-nosed, tough hockey teams, and that's what people are beating beating this move up about, saying, well, does he want to just get big and bulky like those old Anaheim Ducks teams? I, I don't think so. Uh, when he talks about needing that toughness, he means guys like a Barclays Goudreau coming into Tampa or guys like Blake Coleman who can be a physical presence and score goals. It's not necessarily just a fighter or a bruiser anymore. It's guys to play that style. And I think he can bring that uh, into the decision-making that Ron Hextall is going to be tasked with doing. He can go out and evaluate players, and they can get on the same page. So I think they're going to work well together. One is very well known for building. The other is known for doing everything. And I think that's a good yin and yang match for this team. Ronnie Hextall talked about whether his approach will be, uh, you know, just exactly what it will be once he has settled into his new office at PPG Paints Arena. It's a hard question to answer what, what you're going to do in the future here, but what we're looking to do is make the Pittsburgh Penguins the best team we can this year. Um, we'll see where our goals, we'll see how good we are, we'll see how our players respond, and we'll address things as we go along. Um, in terms of the future, you've obviously always got to look at the future, but you have to look at the present. And the, the focus right now is on making the Pittsburgh Penguins the best we can right now until the end of the year. I've worked for a number of teams here, but I don't recall being this excited about taking a job. Every single job I've taken, I've been so excited, but I don't recall being this excited. I think Pittsburgh is probably the best sports town in North America. Uh, I'm excited about working with Hexty. We, we go back a long ways. I think David Morehouse is one of the top executives in the National Hockey League and in all of pro sports. I think the ownership group around Brooklyn, Mario Lemieux, is, is second to none. So this has lots of boxes. And you remember back in the lottery in 04, I just missed on Sidney Crosby. Well, now I got Sidney Crosby. Good to be here. <laughs> we will hear more from Burke and Hextall later in the show. Their first game with their new team was Thursday night. Back on Long Island were the Penguins, and Mike Sullivan turned to Casey DeSmith in goal. And another Casey made a great play to give the Islanders a 1-0 lead. He'll feed Matt Martin, who deflects it into the Penguins' end. DeSmith with some issues with the puck behind his own net. Penn's able to clear it out to the neutral zone. Pellick has it there. Backhands it near side for Ryan Pulak. Goes off the boards through center. Looking for Sezik as he finds it, gets around Marino on the backhand towards the net, he scores! Casey Sezik has had that puck on a string, puts it past to Smith, and it's 1-0 New York. Another big goal from the identity line of the Islanders. They had gotten that goal from Clutterbuck uh, in the game Saturday, and now they started off with another goal from Casey Sezikis, who centers that line to start this game off. The Penguins tied it when Brian Rust Put the finishing touch on a great passing play by the Penguins. Gathered by Gensel. Back to the point now for Marino. Sidesteps Lee. He'll hand it off for Crosby. Right wing circle. Near side for Gensel. Backdoor feed. Rust. He pokes it in. 
Brian Russ scores for the Penguins, and we are tied at one. Rusty just keeps on being razor sharp. J.G. Pajot tipped one in on the power play for the Islanders after Cody Ceci went to the box for yet another delay of game penalty, and it was 2-1 Islanders. We talked a lot about the Islanders' identity line, but the Penguins have a special line as well. Zach Aston Reese back in the fold after rehabbing from shoulder surgery, and he was reunited with Teddy Bluger and Brandon Tanev. He had not played a game since early last year, and he looked as good as ever, I think, in his first game back. Bounces near side for Bluger. He'll work his way out through center, chips it into the attacking end, rolls behind the net. Aston Reese digging for it there. He has it on the backhand, tries to tough it home. He does! Zach Aston Reese back in the lineup and on the score sheet. And the Penguins have tied this game at two. The game was tied at two going into the third period. The Islanders' best player made a great play to give the Islanders a 3-2 lead. Ryan Pulak controls near side, turns it over for Gensel. He'll flip it back to the far wall to come all the way back to the point. Latang hit there by Lee. Puck out the center. Here comes Barzell. Down the left wing, one-on-one with Joseph. Gets around him in on the forehand, shoots, and he scores. Matt Barzell, a thing of beauty, breaks the deadlock for the Islanders. 3-2 New York. Pierre-Olivier Joseph humbled a little bit on that one, and he had also turned a puck over on a penalty kill early in the game that ultimately led to a power play goal. The sixth straight game, the Penguins had allowed one, and it looked like the Penguins were going to lose a heartbreaker, a game I think they deserve to win, but with 18 seconds left and the goaltender pulled, it was Gino to the rescue. Here's Latang flips it into the far corner for Crosby. 25 seconds to go. At the point, Malkin, near side Latang. One touch pass for Rust on the near wall. Back for Latang over to Malkin. He'll blast one. He scores! The Pens have tied it with 18 seconds to go. Gino Machino activated on the island. 3-3. They went to overtime and then a shootout, and the only shootout goal needed was delivered by the other part of the two-headed monster. Sidney Crosby, the shooter for the Penguins, looks to put them ahead here in the shootout. Plenty of speed entering the Islander end. Between the hash marks, Crosby on the forehand to the backhand, shoots, he scores! Sidney Crosby, filthy, and the Penguins take the lead in the shootout. So the Penguins snatched the extra point, got a very satisfying win to start the Hextall-Burke era. A huge win that uh, hopefully will catapult them on to play in some really good hockey with Geno and Sid delivering at the end. Uh, there are four more games with the Islanders this month. Zach Aston Reese was a revelation. He looked really good, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see if he can keep that level of play up. We'll be right back with more from Brian Burke as he was on a podcast earlier in the week and said some interesting things. That's all coming up when Penguins Live Weekly continues on the Penguins Radio Network, presented by S&T Bank. Welcome back to Penguins Live Weekly. Brian Burke appeared on a podcast called 31 Questions, which is hosted by Elliot Friedman of Sportsnet, and here are some of the highlights, some Berkey bites for you. When I worked for the league, the thing I told Gary Bettman when I left is I can't stand not caring who wins and, and loses. So I'm watching NHL games. I'm praying for two things. I'm praying that my officials don't mess up, and I'm praying that I don't have to suspend anyone. I'm not really interested in the outcome, and that's hard. That's the part I got back today is now I care about the outcome of the games. Now I'm invested. That's the biggest rush for me. This is Ron Hextall's team. When someone talks about hockey operations, it's going to be Hexy, not me. I don't crave the camera. I never did, and I don't now. Like, I don't think the camera is very kind to me anyway. I think I look old and grumpy. So to me, it's it's like this is Hexy's team. My job is to take as much off his plate as I can mm. 
and give him whatever guidance I can. I took the job in Calgary. Mm -hmm. I said to Ken King, the late, great Ken King, how's this going to work? Do I have veto power? And he said, don't think of it in terms of veto power. Think of it in terms of being business partners. If you and I were business partners and we owned a shoe store, you would not come in one morning and say, I'm taking the next two weeks off on holiday. You would talk to me two weeks before and say, what about this? And that's what I told Brad Trilliving when I hired him. I said, look, we got to approach this like business partners. And Ken King, this was a brilliant strategy. Let, let's talk about stuff before it gets to a point where I have to veto you or I have to make a decision. Like, So let's talk about trades. And if it's something I don't think will go anywhere, I'm going to tell you that. And let's move on. Let's do something else. So to me, it will never come down to who has final say. But if you ask Brad to living, and I hope someone does, he'll say, I had autonomy there. And that's my goal with Hexy. Because I respect Hexy. Like, look at the job he did in Philly. I don't think it's going to come down to who's got final say. The answer is the owner always has final say. Mm -hmm. So the only deal that got vetoed when I worked in Anaheim was we were talking about trading Bobby Ryan for Keith Kachuk. Mm -hmm. Henry Samuel, he said, I'm, I don't want to do this deal because it's $1.5 on the cap. He said, I will not overrule you on hockey decisions, but on the cap, I have final say. That made sense to me. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, everyone has a boss. But I think, Hexy, the one thing I would say about him is when I've talked to him, what impressed me is how bright he is. He's a smart man. Number one is, like, you look at the job he did putting that team together in Philly and the draft picks he's made, this is a good hire. Patience is a virtue. And impatience is also a virtue. But it has to fit the reality of your team. So you can be impatient. And Hexy felt in Philly that they weren't ready, and he was patient. It cost him. I think he's learned from that experience and understanding you have to balance the two things. But I think you're always better the second time as a GM. I was a way better GM my second time than I was my first time, although I was pretty darn good as my first time. But <laughs> <laughs> I think he's benefited from that experience and he's wiser for it. And mm -hmm. we're all better next time around. You got to focus on the positives and like, how do we turn this into more wins? Right now we're scuffling a bit. It's not about how do we break this down? How do we tear it down? What do we have to replace? It's more like, okay, I have taken over teams where the list of challenges were as long as your arm. Like, that's not the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now, tough decisions coming? I think so. I've taken over teams with a way higher hill in front of me. I've never understood guys who are like, that hill's too high. I'm like, Jesus, Murphy, mm. it can't be too high. Someone's going to fix it. I came to Toronto. People told me I was nuts. Like, someone's going to fix it. I got fired that year, but that team made the playoffs. If you're a guy that looks at a hill and says it's too high, then do something else, man. Sell life insurance or do something else. Brian Burke, the addition of uh, president of hockey operations between ownership and the GM position is new for the Penguins, of course, and Ron Hextall embraced that concept. I know I'm kind of looked at as a builder and, and the two situations I was in. I mean, Philly, I don't know if it was – so much as a rebuild, it was a little bit of a retool for sure. I mean, but we kept good players. We made the playoffs two out of four years. So, I mean, we, my philosophy has always been, we want to be as good as we can be, but we also have to keep the future in mind, but we got to, we got to keep today in mind too. And this situation I'm coming into now is certainly different than the one that we took over in LA 
or in Philadelphia. I'm not a I'm not a, a one trick pony, and I'll work with Berkey to again become the best team we can become today. If we can get better this year, we'll try and get better. And if if we feel like we're good enough, then we're good enough, and we'll go on. But there's a lot of evaluating to go on from from myself and Berkey um, to you know, kind of get a grip on the team ourselves and see it through our own eyes and talk to people, talk to the players, talk to the coaches and make decisions as we go along here. And just to back up uh, the question that David was asked a, a couple minutes ago, general manager's job nowadays is an enormous undertaking. And to have other people to help you and guide you and work with you, uh, Berkey and I are going to be a team. We're going to work together. We're going to work hard. Um, you know, philosophically, we we've talked. Uh, we're we're on the same we're on the same page, and he, he's going to take things off of off of my plate, and I'm going to take things off of his plate. So I think we're going to have a terrific working relationship. We like our team right now. Burke and I talked yesterday. We we both like our team. Um, is there a couple areas we'd like to improve? Of course. I mean, that's every team got areas where you're like, oh, we'd like to be a little better here, a little deeper here. Um, so we will look at things as the year goes along, but you know, our job is to analyze as we go along. And I can't tell you what's coming our way. I can't. I can't tell you how good our team is going to be the rest of the year. And therefore, to to be definitive in a, in a direction. Obviously, we have we have different ideas. And in my in my interviews, we talked about all kinds of different scenarios, and we went through them all. There's certainly not things that that I would. I'm open to discuss um, right now because they're internal discussions, but um, we will keep an eye on the future, obviously, and try and grab some assets here and there. But we've also got to put the best team. And you, you've got players, Malkin and Crosby and Latang. I mean, we want to be as good as we can be right now with, with three of the top players in the world. Very interesting. Uh, I, I, I could see why Brian Burke refers to Ron Hextall as a bright guy. I was really impressed with him in that interview uh, the other day. Uh, you know, he, uh, he's very confident. He doesn't really, as I heard in another interview with a, right from a writer in Philadelphia who covered it for years, he's not a guy who seeks the camera and the limelight. He's not that kind of guy. Ron Hextall is more, I, just let me do my job. Uh, I love hockey. I'm very competitive, and I'm going to try to win. He's that guy. Brian Burke, obviously, a little more flamboyant, enjoys, uh, you know, being on the air. And, and he doesn't and, love and, the uh, camera stack. You could have fooled me. Yeah, yeah, right, right. He certainly loves the microphone. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And he is a gregarious character. Uh, and I think it really makes for an interesting duo. I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, I, I completely agree. And, you know, I said that to you the other night that uh, I'm really looking forward to covering both of these guys. Uh, we've seen a whole lot of their careers for years and years and years of following the NHL. I mean, from Hextall's playing days on through his days as an executive in the league. And everybody kept saying to me, well, how can this work? Because you have a, a, a guy who's already a proven GM in the league having to work with Brian Burke. Well, if you look at it, Ron Hextall is technically still a young GM in the league. He was only a GM for four years. Other than that, he's been a long-term player development guy, a scout, an advisor, while, while uh, Brian Burke has been a longtime general manager. So I think he has a lot of experience in the front office that can really help Ron Hextall continue to grow, who really, I mean, he's still a pretty young guy himself. I didn't realize he was only 54, I think. I mean, in my head, I felt like he was a little older because I feel like I've watched him for so long, right. which makes me feel old too, I guess. But <laughs> um, when, when you just see them coming in, I think it's going to be a unique thing, like you said. 
One might be the mouthpiece in terms of getting out there and saying some things, whereas Hextall can be behind the scenes doing the evaluations, scouting, talking to the scouts, working with Patrick Alvine to find find guys, and then the pro scouting staff. To Probably watching those. games, I yeah. would bet. Yeah, he, you may, know, like he may even travel around and scout. I yeah, mean, I mean, it's tough now because of COVID and sure. everything, but I, I can see Hexy being one of those guys that's out there watching prospects and doing his due diligence. And maybe he enjoys doing the paperwork and everything. It doesn't, like... From what I've read and seen and heard, it doesn't sound like Brian Burke loves that part of being a GM, getting into the minutia of the actual like paperwork and everything. Ron Hextall may enjoy that. So he can they can work well. The things one doesn't like, the other does, and vice versa. So I think it can be a pretty unique situation for both of these guys. And you know, the Penguins, they love access or providing access. And there are lots of events that occur during the course of a year where you're asking someone to show up yeah. uh, to be a part of things with the partners, the, uh, the advertisers and stuff. If Ronnie Hextall doesn't have to do that, if Berkey can jump in and do that stuff, then it satisfies the needs of the, of the partners to have a real hockey person there. And at the same time, it gives Ron Hextall the opportunity to continue to do his job. So I think in that respect, it could be really good, too. The Brian Burke could become really a nice sort of, uh, you know, face face of the organization. Kind of like an will. ambassador yeah, yeah, for the yeah, team. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the word truculence is a word that Brian Burke has used many times. If you look it up in the dictionary, I'm going to ask those at home to do it. If you do, you might see a picture of Ron Hextall in there. Uh, but uh, there's no doubt that, that Brian Burke believes teams should have truculence uh, when they play the game on the ice. And I, I, we know that Ron Hextall was a truculent guy. There is no doubt about that. I just saw, it was funny, um, somebody shared a video moments after he was hired here in Pittsburgh showing Ron Hextall going the length of the ice to get into a fight with Felix Potvin uh, whenever they were both playing, uh, one with the Maple Leafs and one with the Flyers. And that doesn't, truculence doesn't mean fighting per se, but it just means being tough, being able to stick up for your teammates. Argumentative. Yeah, and, and just as being being a little more standoffish. And I, I think that that's exactly what these two guys are going to bring to Pittsburgh. And one of the knocks that you hear about the Penguins, it's not that they're not tough, it's not that they're not able to do that but sometimes it's as if some bigger teams or at least teams that play a little more in your face get in their face and either get them to take penalties or get them off of their game and I think that if the Penguins are in the near term able to stir in a little more truculence to match their skill and speed they could be a pretty formidable team and I know that Berkey has pointed to the Tampa Bay Lightning as somebody that he holds up as a um kind of a, a golden version of what he's talking about. Think about them. They were right there at the top of the league for many seasons, and they would get to the playoffs and lose. And then they went out and got guys like Blake Coleman and Barclay Goudreau, and even Palat became a more physical player. And, and these guys still go out and score, and they can do that, and it gives you depth, speed, skill, and you start to win a championship then the way they, they did last year. And look at the teams the Penguins had that won cups. I mean, they always had the best role players. I yeah. mean, look at a guy like Matt Cook and, you know, Chris Kunitz. Kunitz. Penguins always had in-your-face, you know, players. So uh, this is not anything new. It's just that uh, these guys are going to really put it more of an emphasis on it, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think the Penguins had all of that. And it's easy for us to look at teams that win and say, boy, because they, they just suddenly become deep and good and have everything. These guys, I think, are, are primed to help them get back to that. Speaking of truculence, Tom Wilson and the Washington Capitals are in town tomorrow afternoon at PPG Paints Arena, the first home game in a long time for the Penguins. And we'll be visiting with Joe Beninati, the television voice of the Washington Capitals, after these messages on the Penguins Radio Network, presented by s Bank.
Welcome back to Penguins Live Weekly. Time now to visit with Joe Beninati. He's becoming a regular on our show, and it's going to be like that, Joe. I'm sorry to say we're probably going to be calling you more than you want us to, but the schedule this year has the Penguins and the Capitals playing each other so many times. A couple of times uh, coming up here, and the game tomorrow afternoon should be interesting. I know it's another game you won't be calling because it's a network game, but I thought you might be able to give us the most recent update on the state of the Washington Capitals. No trouble at all, Paul and Brian. Eight games is going to be more than enough for these two teams when you figure out uh, the course of a regular season. Um, you know, at, at 6-3-3, three and three, I think Washington feels pretty fortunate considering all that they've gone through, guys, with respect to injuries and COVID-19 absences. I mean, there was a stretch there where there was a significant chunk of the American Hockey League Hershey Bears playing in NHL sweaters and doing really well. You know, those guys acquitted themselves extremely well, kept the Caps afloat, and now, fingers crossed, by the time uh, the two teams get together for Sunday, you know, that's going to be a much more representative lineup for the Caps. Now let's see if some of those guys have some rust uh, on them, but for all intents and purposes, this is the lineup that uh, Peter Laviolette hoped to field, and going into Pittsburgh, where we know the Penguins are always tough at home, I think it'll be a great matchup. Joe, how good are the Capitals defensively? Because if you look at their numbers, they're right down there with the Penguins, and yet the difference I think that I see in the two clubs is that the Capitals' power play is very good and the Penguins has really struggled. So uh, just wondering where the special teams kind of play into the success that they have had and how they've maybe been glossing over some issues that they have defensively. The home ice special teams, especially for Washington, I mean, on the power play, they're better than 50%. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, they've been all around pretty good. Not that they're at 50% on the road, but they've been dynamic at home. That power play was something that uh, Peter Laviolette came into town trying to, to fortify. And it had been, you know, for, for 10 years that power play had been at or near the top in the National Hockey League. It dipped uh, to the middle of the road last year. They put a lot of emphasis on it. It is better. It's really, really strong. And I think John Carlson is the guy who makes it go more than anything. Now let's see how the addition or the re-addition of uh, a healthy Kuznetsov, a healthy Oshie uh, will impact it. It, it. You would think it would go through the roof. But with regard to your first question, defensively, uh, I still think both Peter Laviolette and Kevin McCarthy, his defensive coordinator, would tell you they're giving up way too many quality chances. You know, thank the good Lord for Vitek Vanacek, who has filled in for Ilya Samsonov brilliantly, was the NHL's Rookie of the Month in January, where not for his play, the Caps would be under 500. Honestly, he's been that good. I'm not sure which way they're going to go on Sunday, whether it be Vanacek or, or Samsonov, but Vitek's been marvelous. But to be honest, he's faced a little bit too much high-quality, high-danger chances. That was in evidence on the Super Bowl Sunday game against Philadelphia, where Vitek wasn't himself, and the Flyers still show plenty of pop whenever they come to the nation's capital. Defensively, that's the area where the Caps can be better. They're deep. They've got a lot of people to pick and choose from. They're healthier now. Justin Schultz is expected to play. I, I think you'll see him wearing that full aquarium, the full bubble to protect his, his injured face. But they're back to full strength, and they should be better. Hey, Joe, uh, how big has Tom Wilson been for them this year? I know he's over a point per game. He missed a couple games himself, but he seemed like the veteran presence that was there to kind of even out all those Hershey Bears and kind of keep things going in the right direction when a lot of those standard Capitals players were out of the lineup. I think, you know, Brian, you could say 
Vanacek's been the first-month MVP, right there, co-MVP with Nicholas Backstrom. Nicholas is always so solid and so smooth, and he's so smooth at what he does, you don't recognize that he's leading the league or leading the team in points. Yep. Tom Wilson is the guy in the first three weeks of the season, uh, before he got nicked, was the best forward on the ice for the Caps. And that includes Backstrom. That includes Ovechkin. So not only was Tom doing it from a physical standpoint, but he's producing points. He's become so much more of a, of a skilled power forward than people give him credit for. He's been really good. He's especially good in front of the goal rebounds, deflections, he, he's so good. His handiwork, his hand-eye coordination has improved so much there. And, and now you'll, you'll see him make great moves in open ice. He's toe-dragging around defenders. <laughs> he's not only running over people, he's, he's able to escape and evade them and, and create scoring chances. He's turned into a terrific offensive player. I get the feeling that, uh, or I had the feeling when the Penguins scored in overtime, Sidney Crosby was extremely happy against the Washington Capitals because uh, the Penguins had... It kind of overcomes some physical stuff that was going on in that game against them, and they seem to take particular glee in it. Do you sense uh, that this rivalry is as hot and heated as it ever has been, Joe, between these players? Steige, I remember that game you're referring to. That's one of the two that we did on the local level on NBC Sports Washington and obviously locally in, in, in Pittsburgh. We had the call that night, and there were instances where the Penguins looked downright disinterested. I thought Washington was going to run them out of the building. But this has been another thing for the Caps that's been troublesome. That game and several instances afterwards, they have squandered healthy leads a couple of times to the Boston Bruins, three-goal leads. And that's something that obviously can't happen, can't continue. But with respect to the rivalry, they're always going to be at each other's throats. I I think that's just, we we come to understand that. But in that game in particular, I remember the first half of that hockey game, I, I thought Washington was in terrific shape and the Penguins never let up. They came back, but there was the first period or so where that wasn't the Pittsburgh Penguins that I'm used to seeing. They got better and better as the game went along. Washington's level dipped, and Sydney got him in the end in overtime. Yeah, I think the Penguins got mad because uh, Patterson was uh, hit by T.J. Oshie. There you and, go. And so, you know, you can't – sometimes you have to let a team sleep. And uh, <laughs> But what was interesting is – uh, Lars Eller said after the game, you can't sleep on this team. <laughs> so it was actually the Capitals who felt they went to yep. sleep on the Penguins in that game, some of their players did, rather than not me saying that they let the, they should have let the Penguins sleep. In any event, well, I, I, I it's never a good idea to sleep that. during a hockey yeah, game, one I way or the both other. Sides, I think both sides did some sleepwalking in that game. That's <laughs> the way I felt about Pittsburgh in the first, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes. It's like, is this the Penguins? This isn't. This doesn't look right for the team in black and gold. And then they got progressively better, and Washington dipped. And that's been something that's happened far too often. Peter Laviolette will tell you the Caps have not played their best full 60. And I know that that's coaching cliche, but they have not had a full cover-to-cover type game. There have been instances, 10, 15, 20 minutes, where they look like world beaters. And then there have been other instances where they are mistake-prone, penalty-prone, uh, and nowhere near what you would expect to be among one of the elite teams in the East. Joe, as always, thank you for your time. Always enlightening. Yes, thank you, Joe. We appreciate your time. Guys, my pleasure. Let's do it again soon. I know we will. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. As long as you don't mind us <laughs> dialing up those digits, we're happy to have you. Well, especially this month, Joe, we play uh, on this end. It's the Islanders or the Capitals every single game. Oh, I saw it. Did I see six times with the Isles? Yes. yes. Holy <laughs> and then the rest Lord. of the month here is closed out with the Caps. It's literally Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday every week with Islanders and Capitals. No trouble, boys. <laughs> Give me a jingle. Okay, Take thanks, care. Joe. Appreciate it.
That's Joe Beninati, the uh, television voice of the Washington Capitals and Mets. You know, I want to get right to a couple of things this week. Uh, there were rumors floating around. I think they're true that the Penguins were looking for goaltending help. Yeah. Uh, you have an issue there with Mike Sullivan turning to Casey DeSmith. That's, he's not supposed to be the number one goalie. But right now it looks like he's the guy that Sullivan feels more comfortable with. Uh, and the other thing I want you to touch on is the return of Zach Aston Reese because I wasn't all that thrilled about him coming back because, you know, he's been a disappointment to me because not just because I don't think he's a good player, but he's been injured a lot and I don't think he's ever really shown his full potential as a Penguin yet. I thought he played the best game I've ever seen him play in the NHL in his first game back. I would concur with that. I was really impressed with him bouncing back. He's wearing his college number again for those out there who didn't know who number 12 was on the ice on Thursday night. That's Zach Aston Reese. And he um, he was all over the place. He was in front of the net. He was strong behind the net, down deep in the offensive zone, in the corners. And his skating looked strong. And he looked really strong in that way. And that's a, probably a testament to Ty Hennis, who he's worked a whole lot with. But he had five shots on goal in the game. And that, if I'm not mistaken, that was a career high for him in a, in a game. So hopefully that's just a sign of what's to come with Zach Aston Reese. And I'm hoping maybe with them lacking a little bit in terms of a net front presence on the power play, just a guy that's not afraid to get his nose dirty in there. Maybe that that's could be a really him. good point because he, he scored a big goal right in tight. That's the kind of goals they, they need. They could use on their power play. You get a shot in there, puck bouncing around and, and he had to go two times. It was his own follow-up. He shot once the save was made, got the backhand, uh, backhand out, out around the goaltender and buried it. So I was really impressed with what I saw. And I think he's going to be a very valuable contributor to that bottom six. Now that he's back, as far as the goal, Tending. I uh, do tend to agree that they're kicking the tires on a number of things. All the national pundits, including Bob McKenzie and the Darren Dreggers and the Pierre Lebruns of the world, are saying that the Penguins have checked in on Marc-Andre Fleury, which... For my money, if you were serious about that, maybe you should have done it over the summer when they were looking to make a move. Now he's their best goaltender. Robin Lehner's not really producing the way they anticipated, and I don't think they have any benefit in trading him, specifically whenever they need to hold money, because the Penguins don't have room to take in $7 million that you have to whenever you're accounting for Marc-Andre Fleury. So, what does Lehner make? Um, he's $5 million per season. So um, there, there could be something down the line there. But I, I still say keep your eyes peeled on all these teams around the league that have these tandems, because almost every team has a tandem now. Penguins kind of popularized that with their cup runs in 16 and 17 with both Jari and Murray. And uh, I, I feel like eventually a goaltender will become available, specifically with a lot of guys getting some some experience this year with the taxi squads. More guys are getting games, getting opportunities, and somebody's going to have a glut of goaltending and look to make a move. So uh, now the Penguins continue this Skeen of games against the Islanders and the Capitals, and the Penguins moved back uh, into a tie with the Islanders virtually by by winning that game. Your thoughts uh, just on, uh, real quickly as we as we sign off, what are you looking forward to with these games coming up? Um, I think it's uh, a good matchup with the Caps to get the Penguins' energy level up and their emotions high, and I think they can feed off of those games to carry into the games with the Islanders and pick up some points. All righty, that's what the Penguins will be trying to do, the Washington Capitals, at 3 o'clock on Sunday afternoon at PPG Paints Arena. For Brian Metzer, Wayne Gretzky-Anderson, our producer, I'm Paul Steiger. Well, thanks a lot for listening, everybody, to Penguins Live Weekly, and we'll talk to you again next Saturday morning on the Penguins Radio Network, presented by S&T Bank.